Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Ross. I'm Craig. Uh, time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Right then, well, Craig, it's your turn. So, what's in the news today, mate? Um, yeah, I think. Following the last few weeks, we've had slow news, and I think this week is no different, unfortunately. However, <sighs> dragging the bottoms of the news out, uh, there was <laughs> <not> a <laughs> there was a US-funded um, research team who, and they simulated this. So it's not a real thing that happened. They simulated uh, the yield potential of wheat in a vert vertical uh, farm as opposed to traditional farming. And okay, yep. So they they were very um, surprised and pleased, I suppose, by what they found. They found that, given the ideal growing conditions of vertical farm and traditional land, in comparison, they were able to produce approximately one thousand nine hundred and forty tons of wheat uh, per hectare, which is a hell of a lot of wheat, oh, considering. Uh, using traditional farm methods, in again ideal circumstances, only yields three point two tons. Um, Sorry, three point two versus one thousand nine hundred and forty. I when I reported the news about vertical farming many many episodes ago, and I said the com the comparative amount of space is like a small space compared to a, you know a ridiculous field. Well, those those numbers pretty much cover that, don't they? Really. Wow. Uh, yes. It's just a shame uh, that isn't, isn't the country increasingly becoming um, uh, gluten intolerant, though? <laughs> shame, really. Yeah, maybe wheat's not the best thing, but I suppose wheat is still one of the biggest things that's farmed, and it takes a lot of land. It's also one of the cheapest, so it takes a lot of land, so cost per acre uh, quite low. So, see, produce hectare of vertical farming is a hell of an investment. But I mean, given the simulation they produced, it seems to be pretty good. I mean, uh, how tall is this building? Is this like some sort of like, you know? This is this is idea. This is ten. Yeah, ten layers. So you think of a ten-layered vertical farms over an entire hectare. Uh, that's a lot. And almost two thousand tons. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, once you've spent all the energy and the resources to build the damn thing, it'll give you a nice good return. But yeah, in the meantime. I, I suppose like anything with this type of technology, the upfront costs are big and you save over the course of its life. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the space that's going to save it. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how many hectares the US of land uh, is agriculture already, but it kind of feels like I don't know, five hectare, hectares would be enough to feed the US? Okay. Like forever? I, I have no idea. I'm just guessing. But yeah, yeah. Um, if a current hectare is 3.2 and a vertical farmed hectare is yeah a factor of um, 500 times, 1,000 times more, then yeah, basically you can get rid of 1,000 farms for every vertical farm you create in that way, mm. which is ridiculous numbers. Uh, so that's a nice bit of positive news. And on to a little bit of negative news. Uh, 
do you remember also a few weeks back we discussed e-scooters and bikes oh yes one second they were um they'd made them okay in the uk but there was something stupid about it because it was only for the public ones the ones that people are most likely to leave on the street and the, the independently owned ones were the ones that were banned so we said that you should just write the word lime on the side of it or whatever it's called and then get on with it but anyway yes yeah, so that was all cool news. Uh, the trial went ahead, as we said. Um, however, at least for one e-scooter company, at least uh, they are now pausing and on some sort of indefinite hold. All because of where they started the trial was in Middlesbrough. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they give 50 uh, e-scooters on the streets of Middlesbrough. And they didn't get vandalized, perhaps maybe you'd think. However, they were caught... Uh, being used inappropriately. How do you inappropriately use a scooter? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, God, you should ask. Uh, this particular case uh, was a teen, underage teen, by the way, you need to be at least 16 to drive an e-scooter, underage teen uh, driving at 12 miles per hour down the motorway. So that was the final straw that killed the, the project trial. Right. Uh, however, there were also at least five counts of uh, riding through shopping centres and scaring old people. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was also two other underage riders spotted um, on dual carriageways and just just general havoc Hold of on. Hold on. in Middlesbrough. When we talked about the subject last time, it was only available for people who had a driver's license, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. So what happened to that? Well, this particular company, Ginger, um, who was running the trial in Middlesbrough, uh, apparently all you need to do is uh, download the app, register an account. I'm not sure how you can pass the verification, but it seems maybe straightforward. And from that on, you can unlock an e-scooter. Right. So they didn't do what they were supposed to do, and then they went, oh, wonder why it's being abused. Maybe. Maybe they've all completely fallen over. But, yeah, right now the plan was to roll up more but it's on indefinite hold. So there are other providers who uh, haven't gone on hold yet. So the, the full trial is still going ahead, but it's off to a bad start. Yes. Well, yeah. so, do we take corners? Take corners. Yes. <laughs> not on a scooter. That's not what I meant. The teens of Middlesbrough. Um, the youth today can't even drive a scooter responsibly. <laughs> other than that, back to some more positive news. Uh, Alphabet. So Alphabet are the guys who own Google. Uh, they kind of spun off into the big daddy company that owns Google and a bunch of other little bits and pieces. Uh, they have issued sustainability bonds and the entire yeah. point of a sustainability bond are environmental social issues uh, will get uh, the profits effectively. So you're buying bonds in worthwhile companies uh, and they have issued $5.75 billion of those bonds which makes it the largest sustainability or green bond ever issued by a company in history. Yeah, I think that's, that's very interesting um, because I think it is, I don't understand how bonds work for it. So maybe it's something for another, another episode to look a bit more into, but um, like, because we talked about that pension fund who mm. um, were trying to only invest in, so potentially they can buy bonds. Uh, but yeah, can you, as opposed to putting your money into, let's say, the FTSE 100 index or an American equivalent, um, 
does that mean that we can put money into these bonds to save money or something? Or do they even have the opportunity to raise and rally? Are all questions um, I'm asking myself. I, I can't see a reason why they shouldn't raise in value. Uh, I suppose the idea is that you are investing in, uh, I suppose the bond would just comprise of companies that are worthwhile investing if you are a green investor. So instead of investing, for example, in like Vanguard's biggest ones would be the Life Strategy 20, Life Strategy 40. Uh, they typically invest in UK bonds, part of the UK market and they invest in US companies. So one of the US companies is Microsoft, uh, just generally because they are uh, a massive company who's pretty stable. So I suppose these bonds would instead comprise of Tesla or yeah. other green companies, uh, which would take the role instead. I suppose that's the idea. So maybe you can't buy directly, but they would exist in some other portfolios by companies like Vanguard. Okay, yeah, interesting. I shall, I'm yeah. going to find out more about that one because that, 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 that tickles my financial brain. For those that cool. are still waiting on an update from the, uh, the stock update that we did weeks ago, there will be one coming. Maybe not this week, but um, maybe next week. Oh, is that like a repeat thing? Yeah, I just there's no point doing it every week, is there? Because <laughs> it's gone up by 1% since last week. It's not much point. <laughs> yeah, cash in now, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, so other than that, we've got some other good news uh, to do with the UK government. So they've definitely been on the bandwagon of uh, getting Britain to its uh, carbon neutral status by 2050. And one of the ways it's done this right now is cut the red tape on battery capacity. Um, as um, as my train of thought, but, but <laughs> battery capacities right now are quite small. Uh, I think 50 megawatts. Right, battery capacities is... of what? what? What are we talking about here? Any battery? So, electrical battery capacities. So, the idea of how much electricity you can store in a battery, like for example, an electric car or one of those Tesla power walls you can have yep. in your garage or something. Those, those guys. Okay. So, the limit was 50. 50 uh, mega, megawatts. 50 megawatts is much bigger than you would have in a power wall, for example. That's like yes. talking kilowatts there, right? not, not megawatts. Yeah, but 50 was the limit, and that's now been increased. Um, I think the red tape is now up to 350 megawatts. So, so that's, that's quite those, a substantial increase. So that's those big, um, like they have one in Australia, and I'm sure we reported on one being created in Paul. It's one of the, it's those things, isn't it? It's one of those those larger battery packs which are there to help with the the grid supporting. Yes. So it's not individual use; it's for those sort of um, industry level storage facilities. But so they've increased the cap so that we can build bigger ones. Good. Yes, exactly. So right now the UK has a storage capacity of one gigawatts of battery power, um, of operational battery storage at least. Yeah. Uh, electric, electricity in the UK has been produced, as we mentioned before, uh, quite a lot. Uh, being our offshore wind farms are producing uh, significant amounts. And apparently during COVID, our electricity usage has gone down by 20% in demand. Uh, probably why we 
I also discussed a few weeks back where uh, one electricity company was actually paying people to use yeah. electricity instead. Yes, that was Octopus, wasn't it? Octopus Energy, yes. So uh, right now we have a gigawatt of battery storage and the plan is to have 13.5 gigawatts. That's the ideal where we want to be. And I suppose if we had that, uh, we would probably never pay people to use electricity because we can store it and use it on rainy days. Oh, well, it was nice where it lasted. Yeah, you know, we're ideally going to solve that. Uh, um, but this sort of red tape removal enables uh, the next new story, which is a vehicle to grid. So the whole idea there, I think we discussed it before, yeah. is you drive your car around, you go plug it in your house, and technically you're plugged into the grid at that point, and your battery in your car is now effectively part of the battery storage of the grid. And you are effectively lending yourself to that grid capacity, and yeah, any excess electricity will just get sent your way. Um, we're seeing in the UK right now, one in 10 cars are electric or part electric in some way, maybe a hybrid of some sort, so they have battery. Uh, maybe not that big, but we are seeing that battery costs are going down. So uh, significantly so actually. The numbers again, it's, yeah, apparently it was roughly $156 per kilowatt, but 120 quid. Mm -hmm. And they expected to drop down to 100 by 2023, but they have dropped 87% over the last 10 years. So it's a yeah, significant there's battery a, drop. There's a, like a, imaginary point i think of like a hundred i think it's a hundred um where it in in all scenarios it beats petrol i mean given this benefits to the grid now i think uh it's, it's inevitable to win yeah um the hyper hypothetical idea in this article at least is talking about the 38 million cars that are on the uk roads um if we saw say 30 million of those become electric in the next five to 10 years, uh, we would meet the requirements of the grid humbly. Again, the requirements of the grid are 13.5 gigawatts. Should uh, a half of those cars jump on board and be electric, we would expect the capacity to be in the region of 220 gigawatts, far surpassing what the grid would need. But presumably, we would also increase demand at the same time. They would, but I assume those numbers take in consideration demand. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yes, great. We've got electric cars. We've hit our capacity levels. Wait a second. Needs a charge. Ah, oh, damn. We should have thought that. I mean, good question, but uh, yeah, I'm not a journalist. This isn't the Guardian. You are now, mate. I'm not, look I'm not looking into those numbers. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just reading them as they well, are. Well, you're as a professional the journalist, but you are a journalist now. But uh, let's, let's say that, yeah, we get this imaginary, say, battery um, storage capacity of 220 gigawatts in the future, fast yeah. passing the 13.5 required by the grid. Uh, even if that's only half right or a quarter right, that's a hell of a lot more than we need. So that whole vehicle to grid idea, it works considerably well in our world. And it's a far cheaper option than the UK government buying these industrial batteries as you said in pool i bet that probably cost a pretty penny yeah if we can say just 
crowdsource that to I don't know, a million leads, then uh, we're looking good. Yeah, then we won't have to import it from, was it Denmark? Oh yeah, the, the cable, yeah. Yes, the Viking cable. Oh, but it's, it's back and forth though, we can also send. That's true, yeah, well, we want to send that more than me. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know, maybe we'll start sending more than we're getting, and then maybe we'll dismantle the cable because we no longer need it, but don't know. That's the way things work. But that's all the news I have this week. What have you got? Ah, uh, well, uh, as you say, it's been a bit of a struggle to find anything worthy of our viewers. Um, but uh, I do have some things. So um, there's a lot of people vowing at the moment. And as, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, people are saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this. And unfortunately, it's just the news is just full of more people doing exactly the same sort of thing. Um, so we've got, for example, Microsoft has vowed to become zero waste by 2030. Lovely. And Dropbox has targets 100% renewable energy by 2030 for its uh, data centers because they're quite... Um, I think it, I think it said if, if left to their own devices, it would end up taking up 10% of of global electricity consumption just for data centers if they kept growing as as, as they currently are. So, um, but Drop Dropbox did. So no, so Dropbox is the one that's as vowed to say that they're going to make all their um, data centers renewable energy, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, but some some survey basically worked out that if the energy consumption of data centers as they are increase with the general demand of what is required of them, then they'll end up being a large contributor towards a global energy usage. Um, so they've made some sort of statement saying, you know, they really should be trying to go net zero by 2030 and, and Dropbox has responded to that and say, we believe this is our duty to do so. So we are doing this and hopefully inspire other people to do the same thing. So there's that one. Um, uh, but then I, then I bumped into another one and my cynical radar sort of went off. Uh, and this one came from, um, there's an article said, carbon-free diet. Would you like a carbon-free diet? Well, HelloFresh uh, commits to offsetting all its emissions. So do you know, do you know what HelloFresh is? So, I've heard of them. It's a, basically, a, they make the meal for you and they deliver it to you in a box. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they obviously been criticized for the fact that it's uh, a lot of packaging for what's in the box, if you see what I mean, as in, because obviously mm -hmm. it's portion sizes for one or two meals or whatever. So then there was a statement they released, which said um, that they are prioritizing mitigating the emissions that we directly produce. So that was my first thing. So direct. So that means basically that that will allow them potentially to get away with all the packaging issues because they didn't directly, but they probably just import those in. That was the first quote. And then uh, the next one said, our highly optimized production facilities emit significantly less CO2 per euro of revenue compared to traditional food retailers, which need to cool, heat, and light thousands of stores. Furthermore, we deliver our boxes as efficiently as possible, for example, by shipping them in batches and reducing the number of kilometers traveled through our innovative, planning software so 
basically they sort of given themselves a lovely little loophole there um, of saying one we're only going to look at the um, the stuff that we directly have influence over um, and then second of all fucking from the links they are um, their their example is that other places have stores that they have to keep warm and things so therefore they're better than them but that's just your business model that's not nothing you've done um and then the other one is that they that they don't send their you know their vans out in circles unnecessarily um and they they, they plan their trips to make them efficient well i'm sure they would have done that anyway so they have vans i thought it was just calls to the royal mail well how, however they do it the point is they they're not but it says that they've got software to plan their thing. So presumably they do have vans, even if it's not the last mile, if it's the bit before that. Um, but they're going to do it anyway because it saves them petrol. So, you know, yeah, got to watch out these people because people are saying stuff to make them sound like they're... And that, just, that just winds me up, that does, because it's just, you know, it's not, um, it's not genuine. You, you, you don't buy it then? You don't, don't buy that? Uh, no, I don't buy it. Um, Possibly the only interesting thing that I found in that article, sorry, those people if you are actually trying to do something good, but I don't believe you, um, is that <laughs> is that in the uh, they are in order to combat some of this, some in order to offset their uh, CO2 emissions, they are working with something called the Woodland Carbon Code, uh, which delivers forestry projects planting woodlands specifically in the UK. So I didn't know about mm-hmm. that. I didn't know that this thing existed. So there is a um, an organization which you can essentially buy credits off who will then help to plant forestry in on woodland in this country so I'm going to try and find out a little bit more about that and how one does that because it's I hear lots about these plant a tree things but they all seem to be plant a tree in a rainforest or in America or somewhere else but um, so if there's actually one that does actually at least do stuff for the woodlands in the UK. That's then that would be you know great for us. Yeah, no, I agree. You kind of made me into the cynical mindset now too. So well, I, I, just, I find I, I find that as cheating personally. Well, you it, can't I, you can't have a carbon offset in a hundred years. Like do it now. So in a hundred years, what are you talking about? As in, the, isn't the idea of planting a tree that um, I produce X amount of carbon today? I'm going to plant a tree. Now, when that tree's you know big and strong in like twenty years, it's going to start sucking that carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere. But by that time, I would have made considerably more. I don't know. Um, kind of physics cheating a little bit. Well, I, I I mean I think a tree sucks out more carbon as it's growing than it does when it's fully grown. Does it? Well, that's like a tree's if you like is is made of carbon, isn't it? So in order to grow, it has to suck in the carbon dioxide to make itself i've never thought that before so are you saying that uh, every time the tree gets big enough we should kill it and grow some more i'm not saying that because i'm not 100 sure <laughs> <laughs> but i think um does a fully grown tree suck in more carbon dioxide than a growing tree but it's, it's bigger i would have thought so there's more leaves and stuff. Yeah. It's more like surface area. It's got like more suckability. 
Suckability. There's our new word. Well, there we'll put that on the app list, shall we? The act list. Things to find out. Um, but yes, potentially that might be the right thing to do. I mean, also they've got these renewable um, wood things, which they you know, they let the tree grow for like a year or two, cut it down, and then they replant another one. And from what I understand, that's supposed to be a good way of doing it because all that carbon is absorbed, used to create the tree, and then you use the wood and then reuse the ground again and again and again. But anyway, we'll look into that one. Come back to you, shall we? Um, and then the final one is going on from um, the government plans which they announced uh, a couple of weeks back, I think, about the green, house, uh, the green home grants. Um, mm. They basically delivered more information about that. It's going to be a two billion home improvement fund of which uh, they will pay up to two thirds um, in the scheme of whatever changes you're trying to make to your house. Um, and uh, yeah, it's capped at £5,000. Um, and meanwhile, low-income households will qualify for grants which are worth up to 10000 to support energy efficiency upgrades. So basically, all the businesses who would be eligible to deliver those projects, I've now got all the information, so you should start seeing um, you know, advertising and marketing or whatever around what you can get done to your home just be well they said there's some sort of regulation um threshold like you you can't just be some sort of cowboy who just sort of um you know just says i'll do it right um but still you would probably be wanting to make sure that you are going with a reputable company just to make sure that um you know you're not getting someone taking advantage of it and uh getting some work out of you so um because it ended up costing you more. So, but yeah, so that's that's good. Hopefully, we should start seeing more information about that in the next coming few weeks and months. Hmm. Funny enough, I did know about that only because my mother-in-law had a phone call yesterday of somebody questioning the loft insulation about what they had and what they need. And yeah, they were really hard trying to haggle her to go ahead and have them come out and investigate their requirements. So, it's yeah, already be, prepared, be prepared for this to happen now. Yeah. So, oh, you got a great house. Do you want some triple glazed windows? <laughs> no. Oh, yes, you do. How about some? How about some? Yeah, cavity. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Need this stuff. And who knock knock on about the grant as well? Everyone, every household in the UK gets five grand, uh, irrespective of income. If you're on low income, you get ten grand. And government pays two thirds of the bill, which means if you did get triple glazed windows, they cost seven and a half grand. Five grand of that comes from the government. You pay two and a half. Yeah. Pretty good scheme. Yeah. So and it's only for energy saving, not energy generation. I believe that's the final point. You can't buy solar panels, but you can buy a new boiler installation. No, none of the fun stuff, unfortunately. But um, yeah. I mean, still, yeah. if, you know, if it, it, it would be worth your third, I think, to get these improvements done. Um, maybe we can even offer some more. I mean, we all we all get it. We may as well. Indeed. Before it's gone. Uh, did you make use of that? Didn't we all have like a, a restaurant thing that we could go and use as well? Wasn't that part of We do. Have you used it? I Is haven't it? actually used it. Check uh, it's, yeah, it's Monday, Tuesday and Wednesdays in August. You got the 5% VAT anyway, but you also now get £10 per head. 
uh, of eating in restaurants, not for takeaways. And apparently, you basically get a free Wellspoons breakfast if you want it. And if you go to, for example, an Indian restaurant, which would normally be a 30 quid uh, for a couple of people, you know, yeah. walk away with 10 quid. 10 Sorry, quid for the lot. Have you, you haven't? I haven't. No. Well, I have known people who have. But uh, I still haven't gone to a restaurant. Oh. I have kids who are not in school. So mm. I haven't got an opportunity. Especially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's, just, it's a hard ask. It is. It is. Although, um, next Wednesday, uh, I might, I'm, I'm going away. I might be coming to you. Mm. We might actually be doing the podcast in the same place next week. Maybe we should That'd do it. <laughs> Obviously, we need to do it with social distancing in play. and Yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. After set outside your window or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Anyway, um, uh, so the only other thing I did see, which is related to your um, uh, sustainability bonds, um, is some article about major investors to pilot a new net zero framework on 1.3 trillion worth of assets, something that Stand mm. Life and the Church of England Pensions Board um, are joining together to do. So it sounds like it's a similar sort of idea. Basically, they're trying to come up with uh, ways to make it possible to um, essentially invest in, um, you know, sustainable a sustainable world. So um, there seems to be a lot going on in the financial area to try and tackle this. Um, so I think we should definitely do. Maybe I'll even make it my subject next week. Um, to if it's not too, do I'll read it first. And if it's too boring for everybody else, I won't bother. I'll just do it as a news article. But uh, but yeah. yeah as long as you don't spend you know, half the time discussing tax implications of renewable investments. Well, no, I'm, I sure, I'm, I'm I, sure you know, the, the glazing will stop. This is, if, if, <laughs> I'll just end up doing this, talking to you after it, and then just suddenly just pass out running. <laughs> yeah. So don't worry, Green investments. That's, yeah. It's a good topic, though. I think it's interesting to discuss. I think, but just given uh, something I go on about a lot, but like with, with banks and, and your savings at the moment, with um, inflation rates being quite low, but interest rates being ridiculously low, you just putting your money in a bank account is is, is losing money. So um, finding other places to put it is 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 the trick at the minute, and that's why at the moment there's all sorts of weird stuff going on with gold and oil prices and stuff. As people try and find safe places to put their money, but yeah. But anyway topic for another day so what yes, is but to, for today but today's topic is very close to that sort of sentiment and i think next week if you would discuss green investments that work perfectly because today's topic is fire kind of physically is an intro theme fire is that's a destructive force mate that's how's what's the, what yeah we, we go we go talk about the um, the fourth element plasma gonna just discuss okay. this for the next hour um, I should go and get my my glasses or something. Uh, fire, as in all capitals, fire. Uh, financial independence. Retire early. It's oh, uh, that fire. Yes, it's a massive um, movement. Um, it's been something of a movement for a while, but I think during the pandemic, at least, uh, people have been considering a lot more because, effectively, we're all sort of a little bit retired right now. 
So we kind of see what, what this life is like. So it's financial independence, uh, retire early. Is that yes. what we said? Right, okay. Yes. F-I-R-E, yep. fire. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're all we're all kind of retired right now, a little bit at least. Um, I'm I'm working from home. You're working from home. Um, I mean, we've we've always worked from home, so that's not difference for us. But the fact that everyone else is too, um, and they start to realize what this is like, and I think a lot of people are starting to like this idea of working from home, becoming a thing. Um, we didn't think we we didn't actually think the global. Um, telecoms network in the UK could withstand this. We thought BT would fall over, but it hasn't. This has been, if anything, one of the best um, sort of proof of concepts we've ever done to say that actually BT is doing a good job. Those, uh, those copper wires in the street, they haven't died. Uh, we're all at home working from home and- Are we using somehow. them? I thought well, we were yeah. using I haven't used a copper wire at all. I'm on, we're all on Zoom, are we? I haven't, I haven't used a copper wire, I think. I mean, it's all copper wires in the UK. Oh, okay, maybe we haven't. You, you might have fiber, but uh, okay. yeah, there's copper, there's copper wires there somewhere. Okay. Copper wires to your house, at least. Right. But, but uh, yeah, let's, let's go Virgin. Virgin are the only true fiber network right now, but they have to dig up your roads in order to put it there. Because BT and OpenReach have the entire network and it's all copper wire. But the okay. speeds are copper. Well done, it's copper. Fine. Yeah, going strong for the last hundred years. But um, as we were saying, pretty much Evans in a semi sort of retired state right now. Mm -hmm. And I think people are either like it, kind of okay with it, or they hate it. It's, I suppose it's kind of one of those Marmite things where they either like being at home or they don't. Um, I know, like my wife, for example, she gets a lot of uh, cabin fever, and she she cannot understand how I work from home and enjoy it. Um, I suppose it must be similar for yourself. There must be people around you who think, "How the hell can he stay in and work from home?" And uh, well, see, I feel like, and I think it's just down to like how how deep your introvert level is. Um, I think I I I find it at times I find it a struggle because I. I well, there was a period where I was just I was doing videos, and that was my that was my opportunity to to get out and and see other people and and interact with people. So um, I I kind of felt like I needed that a little bit. So so yes, I can understand the cabin fever at least half the time. Yeah, uh, I would I would say my wife is a, is a fair introvert too, but uh, it's stuff like this like chatting over a video call, even though we're real people chatting right now, this doesn't fill her social bar. So right. it's kind of like, like, yeah, a lot of people like that. They don't get the, the social uh, buzz perhaps of uh, doing stuff like this. So they still need to go out they still need to do all that. So if they don't do that, they get cabin fever. So for those people uh, retiring early in this type of way probably doesn't work that well, but you don't have after retire, and that's the beauty of fire. It's a movement which both those two things come together to make a cool acronym. But there's nothing stopping you being just financial independent uh, or financially independent. Rather. I mean, listen, surely there's nothing in your retirement that suggests that you have to not see people either. No, of course not. Um, I suppose the idea I'm is that. Yeah, the, the idea is you get out to the rat race. Uh, you you stop doing what you don't like. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who 
like just do a job because the money's good. They may hate the job or they may work in, an, in a sector they hate, uh, which isn't maybe uh, you know, part of the renewable friendly, sustainable future they want to hopefully be part of. Uh, but they're in it because the money's good. And this was unfortunately, if you work for an oil company, the money is pretty good, I imagine. But you know, at the end of the day, you're not doing yourself, your grandkids any favors. Nope. So stuff like that, people might want to get financial independence as soon as possible. And when I say retire early, the, what the, where the movement describes retire early is just to get away from that, do whatever you want, go volunteer, uh, go become a local community counselor, go um, start a charity, do something you think would be beneficial for yourself, others, uh, whatever you would like to do. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really powerful um, way about getting to there. So yeah, essentially it's, it's just exiting the rat race and just spending your time doing what you feel like you want to do. Yes. So how does one do that? Good question. I was waiting for you to ask this. I, I kept on the bush a little bit. Um, <laughs> so the, the idea is, uh, first of all, you need to put together how much your income is. So if you have a lower income, obviously it'll take a bit longer. For a higher income, it'll be a bit quicker. But either way, your income is important to determine how long this thing takes. So you get your income, you get your expenditure. So your expenditure will be X of income. Uh, you do a little bit of maths where you times your expenditure by 25. 25 is the magic number because your savings will have to go into investments and you'd be drawing down 4% of your investments per year. Uh, and that's why is this the same as the 4% rule or is this different? This is the 4% rule. Right, okay. So the 4% rule is that you have a pot, which is 25 times your yearly expenditure in a pot. Uh, draw down 4% of a year. Um, that's why it's 25, because every 4% is a year of yeah. expenditure. Uh, you draw that down, but typical investments should be netting you at least five, maybe 7% per year. So effectively, you will never run out of money. And that's the idea. As right. long as the investment market is okay. But even if it does kind of bottom up like it's done during this pandemic, uh, as we've also seen, it's gone straight back up. So unless we have a global catastrophe with financial collapse, um, if that does happen, I mean, there's probably worse things to worry about, perhaps. Because uh, I imagine the entire civilization would cease to exist. But outside of that, figure out how much you spend, which for some people would be incredibly interesting, for others incredibly boring. I myself find myself on the interesting side, and I've gone down to the pennies. And I actually really enjoy that. My wife used words to describe me, which I can't repeat. But you surely. Yeah. I mean, whenever I uh, bring up the comment of uh, do you want to see my spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> she uh, and, and no dear, that's there, not a euphemism. There's a there's a I can see like there's a there's a small recoil. <laughs> uh, she's like uh, yeah, I mind this guy. Right, okay, but um because I always, I seem to spend a lot more time than I should uh, trying to work out um, whether there's an, an alternative way of living like there's whether whether you know you've got 
you've got a house which you you know pay mortgage on and all that sort of stuff um so one way is that you just buy the house that you're currently in but another way would be that you don't live in a house at all that you or you buy mm -hmm. a tiny house or you live in an rv or something um there's you know there's so does that come under fire looking under different ways of how you could restructure how you you know by move just by moving location um like wales is traditionally uh, less um to buy a house than it is in england so or at least certain parts of it um so does that all come under it as well or not uh it does um because the idea well basically to, to get to the point where you are financially independent you need to have 25 times your yearly expenditure so the less your expenditure the faster number you get to um yeah so if you lived in an rv you didn't have any kids you didn't have a wife I imagine your expenditure is quite low. Um, so your 25 yearly number uh, could very well be tiny. And that number, assuming you had an income as well, that was moderate, uh, you could get that number pretty quick. And then you effectively could fire in three to five years. And that would be sort of like best case scenario. Or you could just theoretically halve, if you worked it out for where for it was for a house, and a mortgage, then you could go, right, well, actually, surely if I reduce my outgoings for the next five years, if I live really like slim to the ground for the next five years, then that will knock off however many years before I can um, become financially independent. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. It's all about your expenditure and your income, really. It's all about that. those relationships to determine your profit level, which determines your saving level. Obviously, the more you save, the less you spend, the faster you get there. So um, there's different camps of uh, thought on fire. There's something called lean fire and there's something called fat fire. So lean fire would be the guys who live in an RV, um, very frugal. They only buy stuff past 8 p.m. in the local supermarket where they know it's been reduced. Those type of people would be called lean fire. They would save the bare minimum to basically propagate their bare minimal existence, as, as minimal existence as possible. And that number would be tiny, so they can get to their fire target a hell of a lot quicker. Yeah. And as you can imagine, fat fires the other way. Uh, fat fire would be my average outgoings is about, say, £20,000 a year. However, I, I really like a family holiday, so I'm going to put £30,000 a year in there. Yeah, And when they get to that number, which would be a bigger number, harder to get to, they know they can then live indefinitely a really fat, fired, wealthy way. Yeah. So it very much depends on you as a person. Um, I probably put myself as like a normal fire range. Um, I don't really have a lot of extravagant things, but I do like a certain standard of life. So I probably would be a normal fire as in my yearly outgoings are around 20, say. So that would be roughly my number. Um, yeah, would you put yourself on the more the lean side or? I'm, cert I'm certainly more fascinated by the lean. I, I, I am usually trying to think, well, I, mean, the problem is I, I, I also have a son, so realistically living in a van is not a clever idea, but, um, but it always appeals to me, the idea of just going, well, actually, I'd quite like to just sort of like, not necessarily own anything or have anything required of me 
in order to to live and just know that I've got enough yeah like I could just draw down enough money to just travel around and do whatever I want well, I haven't done any of these things um, but I, I find it an intriguing concept I think I'd just see just some sort of hippie underneath somewhere no yeah. hippie <laughs> Yeah, hippies not a drudgery word these days. Yes, it's quite a oh, positive, oh, positive no. free, the, the free spirit type. Um, yeah, I think we've all got we've all got free spirit in us. We've all we've all had those chats about living in a forest. I see. I yeah. I, I, I still get hooked by that. Oh, it's oh. just the land. The land cost is just great. Um, but maybe you could buy a piece of land and then offer people to plant trees in it, help you fund it. I mean, I'm just saying, it's possible. Yeah. Then, uh, as you say, cutting down yearly, like at Christmas, and have a Christmas tree business. Well, that as well. You could be financially independent and retire early as your local Christmas. Which Christmas is another guy. topic we should do because I'm still a bit unsure about Christmas trees. Not that we go into this too much detail right now, but well, like, um, ethically. Yeah, because it's like, like some people say, well, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't chop down the trees. That's a lot of trees you chop down. But at the same time, they also replant them every year. So is that so bad? Because it's but then the carbon in the tree just sort of gets left to sort of slowly release as it gets dumped somewhere. Um, versus a plastic artificial tree, which theoretically lasts a lot longer, but does it really? Because you put it away and it all gets a bit scrumpled up and stuff, and then you end up throwing it away after three years anyway. Because you know the the plastic bits don't. Um, not strong anymore, and the baubles don't stay. Do you know what I mean? So unless you spend high quality Christmas tree, I don't know which one's better or worse. But I'm gonna have to look into this at some point. But you know, we've got a few months till Christmas. Yeah, that's quite a predicament actually, because uh, yeah, I mean, only only one of those will probably end up in the sea. That's that's kind of my thinking of it. But um, other than that, that was the tangent. Other than the tangent to Christmas, uh, not there yet. Um, as I mentioned, investments. So investments and the 4% rule uh, is the fundamental uh, foundation of being able to be financially independent. So between us, we have different investment um, ideas and strategies. Um, I'm more of a safe investor. You're yeah. kind of more of a risky, risky investor who so far lucked out. That's the way I'm going to describe it. What? But... Uh, so the safe investment strategy is what's typically recommended for a fire road because um, if you sort of put your money, your savings money at least, into uh, investment funds, which are index funds, uh, they are typically the safe bet to get at least 5%. They typically always go up. Um, obviously, we don't recommend any in investment advice. We can't do that legally. We're not... Anyway, financially trained, don't listen to anything. Uh, but typically, what people tend to do is put money into investment funds, which are indexed, and they are spread out risk-wise over the entire world. So you would need a, an entire world calamity, like what we're currently in, to see any sort of uh, reduction. So if you did that, built up your 25 times pot in an investment index fund. Um, yeah, you could happily draw 4% every year and live forever. And that's the idea there. Oh, so you can live forever. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a whole new <laughs> Didn't know that. Fantastic. I'm in. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. 4% 4, 4 every year until you die. And then I suppose, I don't know, 
pass on to kids. I suppose that's what you do. I guess that's what you do, yeah. But yeah, but your investment strategy, very different. Yes. But 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 working. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, if we look at the numbers at the moment, mine is working uh better than yours. Um <laughs> let's be honest, it is. Um and that was that was up until the pandemic hit and then since the pandemic i think we're probably i think we're, we're about on par now since the pandemic i think so yeah um so you know in addition to before then i won the first year as it were but since the pandemic we're level painting but um but yeah for me it's too it, it, it's almost too risky to um i mean that we know it's all a bit rubbish at the moment and you just sort of you're supposed to just leave your money in there and we say yes you could take it out because you know things are happening bad and then you can wait with time and put it back in of course you can do that but for me i like the fact that i can go right well there are certain things which are um ben benefiting from the um from the pandemic in the sense that um innovation gets pushed forward further um and i get allows me to invest in the technologies that i think are the way forward tesla being the classic example um and you know look what's happened to them so i if it, when you've got those sort of companies pushing the entire market up then it seems to make sense to have that company being your one you invested in rather than everybody uh, which half of them are doing well and half of them are doing really really badly so yeah i, I can't shake that you've uh, you've lucked up with tesla but uh i mean well i mean i yes and no um I picked, I started investing in Tesla in probably the, the most, well, the, the, the year that it started to move because it was at $200 a share for, uh, for about nine or 10 years or something. Um, it didn't move. And then the year that I started investing in it, all of a sudden it started climbing. But so yes, um, you're supposed to make some, I think it's the, the best investors make between 10 and 20%, um, like the, the pros, you know, the um, Warren Buffetts of the world. Um, that's what they go for. And uh, uh, I obviously made a lot more than that in, in my first year. So I'm obviously in for that sense, lucking out, but we'll see this year, see how we do. Yeah, lucking out in the sense of, especially as you mentioned Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett is an index guy. He invests in index funds only. He does not invest in individual companies. So well, that's, yeah. that's- Personally he might not, but obviously Berkshire Hathaway does. Yeah, I suppose on, on his behalf, but again, he typically invests in portfolios of stuff. And that's typically one index fund is just a portfolio of hundreds of things. Uh, so not one thing can bring it down. Like for example, if obviously if Tesla went down, you'd be knackered. Luckily they haven't and all hail Tesla, reigning supreme. <laughs> um, yeah. I, slightly more diversified than just tesla so you know, don't worry if they go down um, mm. i would probably be quite happy for the going down at the moment so i saw like because i'll stop buying them but um until that point the entire point of 25 years uh and investment is um especially in the uk we have a quite a good pension system uh where if you are working for cover right now which will meet your pension contributions you can get quite a nice pension part uh, which right now, given the UK's uh, current laws, we have no idea what it be in the future. You can take out 25% uh, of that pot 10 years prior to your retirement age. 
I think for us right now, that's going to be roughly 57, 58. Um, so if we were to build up our pension pot, you could take 25% um, out 10 years early, get the rest when we turn 60, 67, 68. And that would fund the rest of the life from then on. So hypothetically, you just need uh, your 25 number to get to uh, 57, 58, uh, which is not necessarily the strategy other countries would take. In the UK, fire does seem to be more attainable, which is really, really cool. So that's a nice benefit of our tax system. That's a bit simpler as well, that we can uh, sort of forecast this method. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a thing you mentioned about lean fire as well. So the idea of lean fire probably wouldn't invest in pensions at all, but pensions are typically the best investments we can do, especially with companies meeting uh, your contribution because they quickly add up. But the problem is you can't touch them until you get to a certain point. So it's very much uh, sending money out the door, hoping it'll be there in 20, 30 years. Yeah, the, the problem that doesn't, the reason that doesn't work particularly well for me is I've never, or I've very, in very short periods of my life, have I ever worked for anybody else? Um, it's usually been me running the company. So you spend most of the, those first years of the company uh, not paying yourself very much, definitely not paying yourself any pension because you're just trying to build the company up. Um, and so, yeah, the pension contributions are, are, are too low, but the theory being that you make that money in running the company and make taking profit from that company. So that's the angle I tend to go down. Also, because I don't, I don't know enough about this, but um, I don't know if I fully trust the whole pension thing. So obviously there's all that stuff that happened with people losing their pensions. And um, I know my, um, we have a family member who's uh, in the police and I'm sure they lost a percentage of theirs or something. It's, there's some weird stuff that's happened with pensions and I just don't really trust it. So I prefer to, to where I can see it is invested in a, in a fund and I know what's in there. Uh, and it's down to me to, um, to decide where that money goes and how to turn that into a, something that I can draw 4% of. Um, you haven't mentioned dividends in there anywhere. Um, uh, I haven't. Because I guess that because even even in passive investing in ETFs, you can still get dividends from those ETFs. So uh, yes, does that not contribute towards your four percent. That's what some people do. They do what's called dividend investing, where they they choose companies that pay a six or seven percent yield on top of the value of the stock, um, so that that's almost naturally giving you a four percent or seven percent. Um, uh, return so you don't even have to sell any shares it just gives you the dividends anyway obviously no. investing has got a bit funny this year because everyone's stopped giving dividends but theoretically if you've got enough invested in those dividend stocks then it's done for you yeah that's that's a good point um i myself have not got any dividend stocks i'm very much a normie i suppose with investments i'm not very risky i'm very much a checking apart fire and forget this is a part i'm building it's going to take years um i know when i'll get there and that's it so yeah mine's just kind of in two index funds and that's it yeah no like i said in no some funds or in index etfs do also give dividends as well yeah if i suppose they can so that's that takes away your i mean but dividend company uh, high dividend 
yielding companies tend to be the very, very large ones who haven't moved for quite some time. Um, the, the, the ones that you would consider to be safe companies because that's how they keep people invested. There's nothing exciting going on that company. They're huge. They've been huge for ages. And the only way they keep people invested in them is to pay out a dividend every year. So they just tend to do it. And it's actually relatively safe in comparison to um, an index fund. It's not as safe, but it's still quite safe. But then if you can go one level safer by having an ETF that gives a dividend, then the yield will be lower, obviously, but um, it'll work. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So, um, no advice here. Do your own research. Yeah. I mean, do do your research to every every single thing we ever say, because yeah, uh, yeah we we have no legal cause uh, to accept any responsibility of anything. Um, yeah. So, in in your case, uh, French independence. I think we're both in the same road. We both want French independence uh, because we don't like. Uh, work for the man. Well, especially uh, yourself, because I suppose you are the man for yourself. <laughs> yes, I guess so. <laughs> but I am uh, reti retire early tends to be uh, the phrase that I think trips a lot of people up. Uh, it tripped my wife up at first, where she's got this whole like image of what retirement is like, and it's when you're old, sitting in a chair, stalking an old dog, watching neighbours or something. But um, she, she was, uh, when I first mentioned this little thing to her, I've been doing this for some years now, so she's kind of been used to it for a while now. She's seen the spreadsheet at least twice. And okay. the idea of retiring, she never understood. So I had to explain that, you know, I'll still be young when I get out of the game, basically. Just, That's just, the point. just change it to stop working early. I yeah. Mean, admittedly, you lose your... Um, uh, whatever the word is acronym but um but yeah it's not yeah because that's what the stroke and the old dog um and watching neighbors is what happens when you retire too late <laughs> you retire yeah. early, then you get to go out and do stuff but yeah it's that uh, that, that real thing of uh when you're young you have energy and aspirations but no money when you're middle-aged you have uh energy money but not necessarily aspirations because you're stuck in life building stuff and then when you're old you've got money aspirations but no energy there's always something missing in that relationship so if you can get out during the midlife period yeah uh some people got up in their 30s some people got their 40s but even got in your 50s 10 years before uh, actual retirement age in the uk that's that's 10 more years where you have more energy your health is better uh, to go and do whatever the hell you want to do. You know, travel the world, uh, start a charity, become a local community councillor, help people. Whatever you want to do, that's, that's an opportunity to do that. Uh, yeah, as, as mentioned earlier, if you, did, if you do work for an oil company, it will pay you a lot of money. I suppose the second half of your life could be doing something that you really want to do, perhaps, outside of that. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of people who work in oil who love their job and would never consider this, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not. They're not watching us anyway, so they're a bit. Nah, they're, they're too busy counting their money. But um, yeah, forget the retire early thing if that throws people off. I think it's more maybe Americanized, uh, but financial independence is probably the bit I care the most about. 
I'm very much an independent person who doesn't like to be, be dependent on anything. And money, I do see as the biggest dependence uh, we ever have, um, which might have come across in the resource-based economy chat we had a couple of weeks back. That's my ideal future where money isn't a thing because yeah. I just typically hate money. I hate that we need it. So I just want enough of it that I don't have to need it anymore. Yeah. That sounds a bit somber, doesn't it? But uh, there's there's some good resources on how to fire. Uh, typically, I find Reddit one of the best. Uh, you've got your UK personal finance Reddit, and we'll add all the links uh, at the bottom of the video. Um, you've got the Fire UK Reddit. Uh, so there's lots of very specific advice on how to fire in the UK, which is really good. Oh, okay. And you've got the general Fire Reddit, which is the you know, the more the Americanized sort of way of doing it. It's a bit difficult over there because obviously they got to pay for their healthcare and stuff, which we haven't got to do in the UK. It's another benefit to firing it in the UK. Um, but all in all, very good advice on how to actually do this thing. Uh, there are individual bloggers like Mr. Money Mustache who uh, have successfully fired and are, are living this life. And yeah, as far as I can see, the people who typically do get to the point where they actually do fire um, enjoy their lives. There has been people who have regretted it and have gone back to work, but that's the beauty. You're still young. You could go back. There's, there's no harm. There's no harm really. Well, I mean, I, I mean, like you know, I. But then again, I guess you just. I would say they're probably doing it wrong if they're missing going to work because the whole point is you're not supposed to stop doing stuff. You're supposed to go yeah. the want to do because i mean i you know being not i've i've missed doing actual having actual work to do um uh because i don't have as much to do since um the pandemic um so when i was you know when i was doing the videos and i've had little projects to do here and there um when i do i you know it's good I, I like it i like being busy um so but slightly different because we weren't allowed to leave <laughs> so it's not like you could actually retire in that scenario because you, you all the things that you would normally do, you still can't do them because of yes. social distancing and all that rubbish. Yes. So if you are listening to this, watching this, you've never heard of fire, check it out. Um, if you are listening to this and watching this, you probably would be interested in fire because uh, you're probably that type of person who's looking for this type of way out perhaps of the rat race. Um, other than that, ah, uh, that's all I got. Oh, okay. one, one other thing. One other oh. thing. Uh, oh. I'll, I'll check a link also in the show notes, but I did build an app of how to visualize your fire um, expenditures and impact. That's dedication. Uh, you built an app especially for this episode. Well done. I mean, that's very good. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, it took no, me... You no, you didn't. I'm pretty sure you sent me a link to this a year ago. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's something I use myself, and it just—it just—it's just a silly little way of visualizing how much uh, impact certain expenditures have to your fire age. So yeah, yeah. That, that you, daily. You, that, are that you making daily, any money from this little app? Are you? I don't. No. Oh. I, I make. I make nothing. I'm just I'm a very generous guy. I was just checking whether you were plugging something, or without, you know, under the radar there, without me noticing. No, I, I, I cut you in. Don't worry. But uh, I, I'm earning zero from this. Uh, I pay all the hosting costs. 
other domain costs. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll link it in the I'll link it in the, the chat. But it's, uh, it's app and it's just a way of visualizing your fire progress and the impact that expenditures have. Oh, that's it. Right. Well, check that out, guys. Um, uh, I guess that leaves us stuff to say, but thank you for uh, joining us and um, think, educate, act, and we'll see you next time. Bye, Dad.